well, this is going to be a new experience. Um, starting to set up notes and thoughts. Uh, trying to think of a name for this segment. It's just going to be my thoughts in a, a section of the show where I talk about, you know, solo voice, some of the things that I'm observing uh, in life and in film and entertainment and future trends and all the things that I talk about on the Steel Phoenix podcast. So what we're looking at now, uh, I decided to start calling these segments Mind Embers, going with the whole Forge analogy and uh, the Steel Phoenix rising from the ashes of fire. These are kind of thoughts in my mind. They're, they're embers of observation. You know, they're not quite fully formed or they're just, it's a slow burn. And an idea starts a lot of times for me as a small spark. And, and sometimes it's not just an idea. It's just things that I'm observing or feeling. You know, um, right now, Palestine and Israel are killing the crap out of each other. And, and, and it's, it's hard to watch. It's, it's, you know, there's no universe where we don't empathize and we want this to stop. Um, there's got to be resolution here. There's got to be something that dynamically changes this. And a lot of people don't have a good feeling. Like this doesn't end well. There's already a, a life cost now and people are looking for villains. They're searching for a vil- villain and I see a lot of people campaigning for hate campaigning to we're not going to try to resolve this we're going to say uh, look at us we're the victim I know you are but what am I essentially childhood rhetoric because of the pain of all the loss you know no there's oppression happening no you shot at us first there's no oppression happening you're saying that because you're trying to play games and you know it's complicated. So in that, using that as an example, um, there's a lot of things that are complicated that get painted over, you know, social media is, and I've said this before, seems to be evolving to a mic drop contest. It's kids on the schoolyard competing to see who can drop the mic first, who can drop the mic in the best one-liner in the comment section. I've stopped doing this, or at least I've tried to, and I wait to comment, not just the first moment I feel something in reading the comments, which is often what I think people are doing, is they're having an emotion by what they've read or a video they've seen, and then they're commenting from an emotional place, which of course leaves it open to trolling and a bunch of other stuff. I'm waiting until I get past that emotion until I see an opportunity to create a dialogue. 
and then I post a giant comment. But I post a giant comment that even if a troll reads it, someone's going to think. A lot of times I don't get answer, I don't get responses, but I'll get reads and I'll get thumbs up and people thinking about what I'm saying. And I, th- I feel like that positive cumulative effect, we can start to have intellectual dialogues about things that are hard. Um, there's a lot of misuse of social media. There's a lot of misuse of tech and, you know, things are largely unregulated. Um, the right regulation is the answer, I think. And we need to regulate social media for sure. And I'm not a big person for government interference. I don't don't like the idea of the government having its hand in my pocket and making decisions for me. Social media is one of those things, I think, that it's been proven. Statistically and across the board, people are not going to be responsible. They're not going to do the right thing given the choice between doing something that feels good and doing something that they should do. Especially in a platform where there's, generally speaking, no consequences. One of the things that got my attention uh, this week has has been the emergence of uh, gaming news, and you know it's funny. I'm sitting here looking at a hundred-year-old train bridge. You can hear it. You know, it's over the water in Chicago. I guess it's not a train bridge, but it's a, it's this old bridge, big metal structure. And I'm thinking about, as I'm looking at the city skyline, how things have evolved and changed in just the last 10 years since I've been here. And there's still these structures in place that have value that are 80 years old, 100 years old. The building I'm standing in is 100 years old. And it's been repurposed many, many times. And what it's being used for now, the creative things, there's a live stream happening next to its door that's a project that I helped produce on. Uh, you know, uh, Dan and uh, Mary are next door uh, working on that show, and I'm here, moral support and backup, you know, in case they need a technical issue. But we produced this, this short doc together that we're all really proud of, and we're live streaming about it today. Um, it's called Did You Eat Yet? And look for it soon. It's, it's very good. It's uh, about a Michelin-starred chef who her restaurant is closed because of COVID, and she takes that as an opportunity to reconnect with her Korean-American heritage and help out elder, elderly folks through an organization called Hanol, which feeds everybody in the community and takes care of people in the community no matter what their background is but specifically built by the Korean uh, population in Chicago. And it was really a wonderful experience working on this show. And, and how 
how that relates is that is that it's that show is old and new coming together and it just makes me think of the the speed at which things are changing or evolving and I'm looking at old I'm standing in old looking at old and then looking at the skyline and there's a bunch of new you know we talk about a lot of things in Chicago but one of the things that doesn't get talked about is the speed at which the city is growing year after year there's a dozen or more sky cranes active and anytime it's a good summer you'll see the yellow sky cranes all over the city the skyline is so different from 10 years ago when I moved to Chicago I don't want to say it's unrecognizable but it looks drastically like a different city and it's not slowed down covid has affected things but it's not stopping anything the skyscrapers are still getting built places pieces of land next to Lakeshore Drive that were vacant for years and years now have these mega structures on them that are still being worked on in the middle of the worst pandemic in 100 years in the middle of political controversy and everything else and it it really it makes me think of a lot of things um this last 2 weeks ago i did a bunch of research about what would happen if the united states got into a fight with let's say china or russia or north korea and i went and watched a bunch of videos on this and did some comparative analysis and i had a paradigm shift that i don't i don't know how to express i'm going to try but it's not so so growing up i was in a military academy and we had training and discussions and mindset about we talked about a potential invasion of the US by a foreign power all the time but this is in the 90s the cold wars still fresh in everybody's mind and as a 16 year old i remember you know 96 so 13 years before that well last 11 years before that i'm doing nuclear bomb drills. So if nuclear bombs hit us, what do we do? And this is the drill. You get under your desk and you cover your head um and it'll hit LA and this is how we respond and we talked about the how to survive the aftermath of a nuclear strike. Uh if a nuke hit LA, how would we respond? What would we do? If it got close enough, you know, everybody in class knew how close or far away you could be and survive a nuclear bomb. And this is in second third grade in my lifetime. Sometimes it takes a long time for 
an idea to solidify. And so, what, what I'm finding is that there are things and projects that I have and I'll work on them and I'll work on them. So that'll be kind of a base that's in my mind. And then I'll figure something else out that's kind of a mutation of that general project. Um, this Happy Potion Company, uh, Happy Potion Incorporated, Happy Potion Co., I think, um, is really interesting to me because it's doing something that's never been done in fantasy adventure. And it's, I don't want to say it's modernizing the genre, but I got this, um, uh, from this fiction writer who has a master class who said, you know, science fiction and fantasy are not, they don't have to stay in this particular lane. And she gave a bunch of examples of, um, you know, Star Wars is a fantasy show set in space. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to turn off. There's, we have a, a sound ball that we're connected to because the car doesn't have Bluetooth. Um, so we have a Bluetooth device that's connected to the car so we can listen to film business podcasts. Um, but basically there's a concept that I have that now I've been talking to my partner, Mary about it. And it's a, um, it's greenlit in her mind. And she just said to me, I'm really excited about this. I want to help you develop this because I think it's, it's interesting. It sounds fun. It's something I can get into. And that's the other thing. You have to play to your strengths. Drama and fantasy are strengths of mine, and so are sales and business. So I've kind of combined all of those things because it's stuff I know something about. Comedy I know less about more than I used to because I've actually written comedy now. I've actually been around comics, and I've, I've done some joke crafting, and, you know, there's some of that now that's in my toolbox as a writer what I think is going to happen though is we're going to allow mechanisms of the show to be funny naturally they're not going to be funny because we've overbuilt something they're going to be funny because that's just how it's going to play out and you know our leads are going to be good and they're going to know what to do with we're going to kind of set them up to knock it out of the park and make the joke really work. And it won't be, they'll, I, I'm going to be the kind of showrunner that's, there'll be certain things that the dialogue is tied to and then other things it's not tied to at all. So I think that's, that's, it's going to be a, a powerful dynamic and it's just fascinating to me how this isn't connected to the serious high fantasy novel that I've been working on for years now. It's not tied into that world, even though there's some character traits in how I'm writing and, and who the character is that are very, that are similar. Um, it's, de it's definitely my style. It's definitely my, 
a voice as a writer is is it's important and it's something that at 41 I feel like I have more of than I've ever had before in my career and it's a good thing Earlier today, um, we had a project come in, and the trailer for the project supposed to be one minute, and we have, I cut together a one-minute trailer, but then we got a different cut of a three-minute trailer, and it's beautiful. It's, it's exactly everything we wanted to see. The motion graphics are on another level. It's, it's really nice, at least it was, when I woke up and, and watched it, because the the showrunner was on the phone. And when all of that happened, I mean, I was excited. I was over the moon. Uh, just, you know, Mary and I were jumping out of bed, essentially. And we started planning. And we came up with a game plan with how to launch it and how to, you know, what what's the social media structure going to be like. And, and we got with our EP and we just... The three producers sat on the phone for about an hour and a half this morning, excitedly encouraging each other and thanking each other and just really getting into it. And the energy was amazing. It was a great, great way to wake up. I got excited enough that I took the project and I decided to show it to two people that I live with. Um... So one of them is Mary's 14-year-old daughter, and the other one is like a a second mom to me who I've known my whole life. And the reaction was not what I expected. This property, this piece of IP that we're doing is mostly African-American, and it's parody, it's comedy, um, and it's around some pre-existing tropes and and things that you would have seen in 90s black comedies. And it's really well executed. And the older person had this look of you spent all that time and energy and you're this excited and that's what you did with it that they're holding back on their face, but I can see it in their body language and in their face, they don't get it. And then the, the kid, the prodigy, so to speak, she had notes about, well, this, this seems like this is off, this seems like this is off, but it's good. But the older person's reaction to me, and she's a white woman, so she's you know, closer to 70 than 60, had the interesting perspective where for me it was I could see the same judgment that my family would have visited on something they didn't understand or believe in they would have reacted the same way they would have given the same faces made the same gestures you know it all would have looked the way this looked And it just was so discouraging to me. Um, It was the kind of thing that sucked the wind right out. You know, I I mean, I had a full sail of energy going and was inspired 
and this just sucked all the life out of me. So much so that, you know, Mary thought I was upset about something or depressed or, or whatever. And it's ironic because we're scouting graveyards today. Um, we're at a giant cemetery right now. So, I mean, there's plenty of things to be sad about. And there's lots of people here because it's the weekend and, you know, visiting the graves of loved ones. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, me having the wind sucked out of my sails means nothing. Um, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'm going to get over it. <laughs> but the, the reaction was interesting because it, it, it brought me back to something I wanted to share with you guys. And that is how when something works and you know that it works and it was hard to do and you get through it and the product is something you're proud of despite its flaws you know you're in the right space and there's going to be people that look at your baby your perfection even if it's not perfect, but they're going to look at what you did and they're not going to get it and they're going to judge it and they're going to make fun of it. And I have to, and I just had the thought, there are people that don't like Star Wars, which to me is ridiculous, but Mary doesn't get it. And her daughter actually said to me, she doesn't really like Star Wars, which to me is oh, hold on. I'm going to have to, you know, as with all of my content, the, the constant life of interruption, it's just, it's part of having a show for me. It's, it's part of having any kind of experiences. There's no, there's no universe where I cleanly get to record something or I cleanly get to uh, broadcast something. It's, there's always going to be interruptions. There's always going to be text messages and phone calls and emails and meetings I have to get into uh, just by nature of how my business life goes. That's just the way things are right now. Which I think creates an interesting case of documentation. It kind of will be an interesting thing to reflect on later in my life. Uh, if nothing else, I'll be the person that listens to my own stuff. You know, years down the road... Imagine being in a place and listening to where you were and I'm thinking of that and it's making me think of how grateful I am to be doing what I'm doing right now, how beautiful it really is and how happy I am. And that's in spite of that kind of kick in the teeth this morning. The other thing I realized as that whole dynamic was happening is that she didn't do anything wrong. There's a genre that she doesn't understand that I'm trying to show her in a different light than is true to her paradigm. I'm asking this person, this almost this 60 something white woman to have a paradigm shift into not slapstick, but kind of over the top black comedy that is uh, more vulgar than what she likes. 
you know, her sensibility isn't very vulgar. And then you take her completely out of her element. And not only does she not respond to the content, she doesn't know what's appropriate to say and what not to say. She doesn't know if there's some sort of uh, cultural trap waiting for her in, in the context of, of what's happening. And then there's the genuine disapproval of, I don't get it, you wasted all your time on this. And she's going to say to me at some point when we talk about it, you have such a good imagination, how come you're not doing something else? Why is it always something like this? And I know that conversation's coming, but I'm not upset about it. Uh, Somebody set off a firework and we're way out in the toolies, so... There's a bunch of security and cops hiding around bushes all over the place out here. I think they're worried about people defacing graves because of Israel and Palestine. I, I think that it's important for writers, showrunners, or people that are starting a new project, whatever it is, to understand that just because someone doesn't get it, it doesn't make them your enemy. It doesn't make them someone you need to get revenge on. It doesn't make them the bad guy. It also doesn't make you the victim. You're also not actually being hurt by this thing being what it is. You're not being affected by this in a way uh, that is really and truly awful or debilitating. At the most, it's inconvenient and it's one of the markers that you're on the right path is that that's going to happen. Stick to your guns, stay true to what you know works, and I think you'll be okay. The other, at the, at the least, it's, well, I don't know. I lost my analogy because I have to do something else, but it's, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't have to be crippling and, and it feels good to be past it already. And it's only been, you know, a couple of hours and I'm glad that that muscle exists. If you don't have that muscle, I would invest in developing that part of how you think about things. It's not personal. It's just not for them. And that's okay. The, the final thing I want to talk about on today's show is um, being in the creative zone. The creative zone is a mental place where it's almost uh, like an anxiety-pushed or fueled creative fervor. And, and all of these words are not the correct things to describe this because it's also, at the same time it's that, it's, it's also extremely exciting and it's, and it's wonderful and there's a little bit of bliss and joy, but it feels like you're on a roller coaster or you're going down a hills, up and down hills in a car and you've got that butterflies in your tummy. To me, it's how I know I'm really there. 
I'm in a spot where I need to sit down and write and it's building up and building up and I'm excited to write. I'm excited to work it and it affects for me, my writing process is I need to have more than one active, good project in my brain at the same time. And it allows me not only to write those projects simultaneously, but allows me to go back as I'm having ideas and tweak or work on or rewrite even other projects so that all of it's constantly building. And my craft is getting better because I'm writing so much and I'm about to be in one of these deep writing zones, um, which is ironically going to help with some of the stuff I have to edit. When I'm writing a lot, um, it helps my editing because I can see the cuts in my mind as I'm, as I'm writing scenes. So both things are complementary to each other, and, and I think it's just important that... Um, <laughs> My phrasing in talking is, is super funny to me. I think it's just important. Well, I'm going to have a minimizer and then say important like I need to apologize. It's super fucking important <laughs> for a, any writer to have the perspective on what their process is. Have a perspective on how you write and when you're motivated, what to do with it. And when you're struggling with motivation, what to do with it and what it means and the ups and downs. And when you've gotten through that process and you really learn what your process is, it can be very powerful. And it's something that you should stay the course until you figure that out. And if it takes time, that's okay. The key thing is to keep writing and don't give up. Thanks for listening. This has been an episode of Mind Embers. I appreciate all of you stopping by. Be sure to check out the Steel Phoenix podcast on Facebook and Shark Punch 007 on Twitch and YouTube. A Steel Phoenix podcast is also on YouTube. Be sure to check it out. This has been Mind Embers. Okay, so we're going to try some more embers today. Um, I'm driving around doing more medical stuff with the family, and I was just thinking about, uh, obviously, medicine and being frustration with the, the state of healthcare in the country, and then started thinking about stories, narratives. Um, I've been writing a bunch lately to deal with some of this frustration and I, you know, I had to skip two producer meetings yesterday and, and kind of recalibrate things. Um, in the recalibration, I'm finding the writing outlet. I mean, I wrote, let's see, I wrote for three hours the other day, but I did it on stream. And it was really good shit. Uh, in terms of what was coming out, I was in the pocket of was in the flow and it was extremely helpful. It was cathartic. Um, I just thought of a crime caper 
the other night that I'm going to do. And I think I just thought of another piece of it. I like to do stories that have multiple elements. So the second element in this story is going to be a um, kind of a conversation about how outgunned um, the police are in comparison to a paramilitary force within the United States. Um, What I mean by that is that we have hundreds of years of citizens of certain social dynamics that are armed to the teeth they're well-trained, they're disciplined, there's the most dangerous army in the world is, uh, <laughs> you know, is arguably the American civilian population. And people are like, oh, well, no, no, I don't actually mean that. What I mean is that the most dangerous guerrilla force has never been activated. Um, we have 350 million people in this country or 280 million, depending on who you talk to. It's hundreds of millions of people is the point. And if half of them are armed, if 20% of them are armed, it's the largest army in the world. I don't think any other country can say that. Certainly no developed country, so, so no communist country can say that. Um... No third world country can say that. You know, maybe the Philippines can say that. I guess a third world country could say that, but no third world country, as far as I know, has 100, 250 million people. It's an interesting paradigm. Um, you know, I look at this city, this city, and all the problems that exist within Chicago. And it makes a really good hotbed for stories. So one of the stories I came up with is a really good spot for a heist movie is a hospital. And you say, well, why is a hospital a good spot for a heist movie? Well, hiding shit in plain sight. If you're going to hide money or drugs or something, a hospital is a great place to hide it. You have people coming and going all sorts of hours, day or night. You have lots of places, nooks and crannies where no one goes. And there's, there's all sorts of security protocols, and it's got vault-like elements to it. So if you were to steal something and you needed to hide it, a hospital would be a great place to do it. Um, I've thought of this heist caper for a while, and I think I have all the pieces to write it now. So there was a guy that I lived with who used to um, work as a armored car guard but his job was to deliver cash to ATMs. Well, you don't pick up cash from a bank and then take it to an ATM. Most banks don't have shitloads of cash in their vault. If they do, it's not a lot. What he told me is there are actually these massive warehouses that inside, the outside it just looks like a warehouse that's a, a box. Inside, it's Lexan, bulletproof glass everywhere, and it's full of guards, but there are literally pallets and pallets of money that come in on trucks. So a semi driving down the road 
has a undercover follow car and is full of pallets of cash. And this happens every fucking day. I have yet to see a heist movie about hitting one of these places. I absolutely am going to make this about that. And it's, it's going to be... I don't know how accurate I could be with some of that stuff. I'm sure people are going to get really pissed about it. <laughs> but the guys are going to hit one of these places and where they're going to stash the money is going to be a hospital. So they'll hit one of the, they'll hit, um, they'll hit one of these semis. Then they're going to hit the center for the semi and they're going to be funneling everything through the fucking hospitals. And, you know, will they get caught? I don't know. I don't know if they're going to get caught or not. Um, I'd probably prefer them to not get caught because I feel like that's more realistic. Um, I think, and then we'll have some statistics at the end. I think people grossly underestimate um, the, the job that law enforcement has in terms of keeping up with organized criminal activity. Uh, and I'm not meaning organized crime as in the mob. I mean organized just as in people who are organized and the thing is is most people don't want to commit a crime like robbing a bank or something like that one because there's a bunch of deterrence but two most people are not trying to do that kind of shit they're just trying to live their life and survive they're focused on doing the things they want to do they don't want to do those things in boston for instance bank robbing is part of a culture it's a culture that exists which is funny to me because if they would branch out of the Boston area and hit other places, they might know some of this stuff. So maybe I'll make one of my guys from Boston. So he's got the pedigree to rob banks. It's an interesting thought. I think it's going to be a fun project. So I plan on writing that uh, as soon as I get home tonight and working on the other project as well. I think I can probably do this drama that I'm writing it's kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of stories from my 20s and 30s, mostly my 20s. And yeah, it's like the 10 years of my 20s, all, all crammed into a movie. And it's not just my story, it's other people's stories sprinkled in and twisted around, you know, just a bunch of stuff. And there's some pure fiction in there that's just, oh, this is made up, this is completely made up for the narrative. Um, but I banged out a bunch of parts of the first act, um, in three hours, uh, I don't know, yesterday or the day before it was great. So I think that will be the first feature I'm going to direct this heist movie, maybe the second one, but I may, I may bang some of those notes out, uh, tonight. That's my thought for now that my, uh, my, my mind's kind of on fire with these writing projects. Uh, one of the reasons I'm excited about this is that our big feature is supposed to sell at the end of August. And the producer that we're connected to who directed this is only interested in directing historical dramas, but he is interested in producing everything else. So if I make a great script, he's the kind of guy that can connect me to pieces I need. And if I'm ready to direct, I get a couple more shorts in me. I think maybe 
I think maybe this is a path. Um, it's not quick. The film industry is not fast, or at least it hasn't been fast for me. We theorize that if we were in Los Angeles, it would be it would have been much faster. Um, and it's one of the things about being in the fifth market is that there's not a lot of above the line IQ. And I talk about this all the time. There's not a lot of people that are in a position to do things like just work on the filmmaking craft like Guillermo del Toro talks about. When do we talk about the craft? We talk about all these other pieces. And I'm thinking of switching the name of this show and just doing a a podcast that's completely about film directing craft. Um, The craft of filmmaking in terms of how are we exposing narrative to the public? How are we shaping narrative uh, through performance, through art, through storytelling, written word kind of stuff? And really dig into what Guillermo's talking about. I think that's a huge thing, and I and I, I think it's a gap, and I think it would be interesting. So that's another ember that's in there, and, and we'll see how that goes.